Hello and welcome to our Sanctuary First broadcast, coming live from the Royal Hotel Bridge of Allen. A warm welcome to you if you're joining us online or listening back to this episode, and a warm, warm welcome to those of us in the room here in Bridge of Allen. So Bridge of Allen, it's lovely to see you. I'm James Cathcart. And I'm, and I'm Amanda McBorry, and together we will be guiding you through the next hour of music, prayer, interview, reflection and discussion. Joining us on the panel are Albert Bogle, Minister of Sanctuary First. Hello there, how do you do? And Dan Harper, who's the Minister here in Bridge of Allen. Hello. Throughout the afternoon, we are delighted to feature live music from our in-house band, Those Scottish Campers. Would you all give our guests a warm welcome? Okay, so the theme for our event today is one that we are exploring all month at Sanctuary First, living in the library. The Bible is a book, but it's also much older, stranger, and wilder than the category book. It's more of a library than a book. It's a collection written over thousands of years across a number of different cultures and spanning multiple genres. The Bible, inspired by the breath of the Holy Spirit, is history, poetry, theology, legal text, true crime, songbook, biography, and more. It features compelling characters and gripping stories that continue to inspire countless generations of artists and writers. But we often miss the twists and turns, the moments of high drama, compelling characterization, and arresting dialogue. We're too keen to rush to a succinct moral message, instead of living in the library, wandering the shelves, so to speak. We dash to the exit looking for a neat answer. The Bible does offer ethical guidance, but its narrative is also meant to capture the heart and the imagination. So over this next hour, we are going to celebrate the Bible as a book, but in fact as more than a book, as a library, full of wonderful, inspiring, scary, beautiful, challenging things. Our hope is that you will be encouraged to see the Bible in a new, fresh light, to read or reread the stories afresh, to see how you are being invited into the unfolding narrative of God's creation. Because that's what's really exciting. The story is still being written, and we still have a part to play. So let's get straight into the Bible. Today we're going to have two readings, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And our first reading is from the book of Job. It's Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. And James and I will read it through together. There was once a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before God. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. He is in your power. Only spare his life. 
So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a, took a pot shared with him to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and carefully search until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and travelled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he'd spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father. Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and now he has been found. <coughs> Amen. So we're going to be returning to these particular sections of the Bible later on, but we're now going to have some music from none other than those Scottish campers. Could you give them a warm welcome, please? Praise the Lord. 
To those Scottish campers, absolutely fantastic band. I recommend you check them out on Facebook. Uh, is there a website as well, guys? Um, no, no, we're, website's in development, um, but uh, there's going to be, I'm sure. Um, and uh, do check them out on Facebook. They're absolutely fantastic to work with um, and a really great band. So thank you so much for coming out or for tuning in if you're listening in online. Uh, and we're now going to have a poem. Uh, my co-host, Amanda, uh, has a poem. It's a bit of a poem and a prayer, and uh, she's going to introduce it for us now. It's called Lost and Found. Lost and found. Sheep found by shepherd. Coin found by woman. Son found by father. Or is it father by son? Something lost and found. Inconvenience, panic, a frantic search and relief when location uncovered but lost and found. Sheep and shepherd, coin and woman, son and father, father and son, something more. Sheep, coin, son, something of worth, something of value, something that cannot be replaced. Lost, gone, only sorrow filling their space. But not giving up, a shepherd leaves 99 to seek just one. A woman turns a house upside down until coin is located. And a father waits, longing for return. A heart full of love, full of sorrow, full of hope that one day that son will come home. What's lost? is found, <coughs> sheep, coin, son, amid moments of rejoicing and celebration, lost and found, sheep, coin, son, me, what if I'm the sheep and he's the shepherd, what if I'm the coin and he's the woman,
What if I am the Son, and he the Father? Father, would you? Could you? Do you do that? Single-mindedly seek for me? Move things? Sweep things? Look under, on top, and in between? Everywhere until I'm found. Are you looking out every day, heartbreaking, arms ready to open as soon as you see me? Me. If you knew what I've done, where I've been, how I've lived, if it was us, we'd think twice. But you, you stand there. You wait, longing, trusting, knowing that one day what's lost will be found. Waiting, arms outstretched for me to return. And those arms outstretched, embracing, hugging, holding tight, those arms encircling, welcoming, not shunning. Those words, my child, loving, not condemning. That embrace, accepting, unwavering, redeeming. For that, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this heart once lost, now sought and found. Thank you for this life, once lost, now looked for and redeemed. Wonder, awe, gratitude well up and overflow. 10,000 times thank you and 10,000 more. For this story of sheep, of coin, of sun, of what was lost being found is mine too. Praise God. <clears throat> Thanks, Amanda. That was really beautiful. Thank you. I really enjoyed um, how sparse it was and using the repetition, really creating a wonderful atmosphere. And that's one of the things I think, as Amanda has ably demonstrated just there, uh, that's great about the Bible is that the story that we heard earlier uh, from Luke, Jesus telling those three stories, helped Amanda to create this wonderful piece of art. And people have been doing this for centuries. You know, the Bible is such an incredibly rich library of resources that people turn to uh, and inspire song as we've been hearing in poetry. So to discuss this a bit more, to, uh, to chat a bit about the theme and books in general, uh, I'm going to hand over to Albert, uh, Minister of Sanctuary First, um, who's going to chat to Dan Harper, who's minister here in Bridge of Allen. Well, Dan, it's good to have this conversation together. When I'm thinking about the library and thinking about um, living in the library, it reminds me, Dan, of a story which is absolutely true, and it was a difficult situation I found myself in. I was conducting a funeral, and I was doing, a, you know, the eulogy. And as I was sharing about the, the qualities of this particular man, um, I, 
I inadvertently, you know, got carried away. And as I started to talk about how this particular man, you wouldn't imagine that you would normally see Willie in the library. But every Saturday he could be found boozing in the library. And what I meant to say was browsing in the library. (laughs) (laughs) So I got the kind of library bit wrong. But living in the library, for some people, living in the library and boozing in the library would be quite a really attractive idea to go along and be able to do a bit of boozing in the library. But getting caught up in the stuff of life, listening to stories, sitting around maybe somewhere that you're boozing or somewhere else, telling stories about the stuff of life, the stuff that matters, that's what a library contains. That's what the Bible contains. That's what all good books contain. They tell us about people and what it is to be alive. So what do you think makes a good story? There's two things. Two things for me. One is an unlikely hero, and the other is that stuff of life. Reading is sometimes a bit funny for me. I'm dyslexic, so it's not within my pattern to sit down and read a novel. But I love reading poetry, and I love reading history books. Um, And one of my favorite poems that I've read a few times, and I always read it at this time of year, it's a poem called Brambles by Kenneth Stephen. And it's talking about picking brambles and what's going on. And it finishes with the lives, remembering autumn, remembering the beautiful pain of being alive. And in all things that we're looking and reading and trying to figure out, in some way it's engaging with that, that being alive. Yeah, and I think, you you know, you, you, you pick a point there about about the pain of being alive. And I think we're going to be thinking more about that today. And I think living in the library and this whole month is going to engage us with the reality of life. You know, so often religious people are always talking about, you know, how, you know, following Jesus is joyful all the time and there's never any struggle. But the reality is there is struggle. And we need to be honest about that and be open about it. But it's how we cope with that struggle, you know, and, and living through it and seeing the stories that inspire us. So what are the kind of stories, uh, any story in the Bible that's kind of inspired you? There's quite a few. One that I'm kind of sitting with at the moment is the story in Mark chapter 2 of the group of friends who take their paralyzed friend to Jesus to get him to be healed. And they get to the house and they can't get in the house. There's too many people, there's too much around, there's too much hassle. And you can feel the pace and the concern and everything going on. And they decide to fix it by breaking the roof. And they dig a hole in the roof and they lower him in. And that sense that you can just, you don't need to do it in the way that expected. You don't need to do it in the way that people have always done. But there is always a way. And it... The history of Christianity is littered with this. But that sense that you can just get in and get into the stuff of life and seek God and seek Jesus in ways that are interesting and exciting and fun. Can you imagine ripping the roof off somewhere to get in that you want to get in that much? 
That's a, I mean, that's a great idea, it's a great analogy. We could just rip the roof off some of the churches we've got and maybe just break it open so that people could actually see Jesus, you know, <laughs> because there's so much clutter around the place to stop people from seeing Jesus. Isn't that right? It's a great analogy. Just, you know, the, and the crowds, we stop people from getting in and say, so they're saying, we're not going to put up with that. We're, so there's a challenge for us, church without walls. We're going to go more. We're going to reimagine church in a different way. Church but, without roofs. Just without roofs, that's it. Yeah. So, so listen, if we were talking about books in the Bible, what three books in the Bible, if you were cast away in a desert island, and uh, in this particular desert island, they don't give you the Bible and other books, but you've just got the Bible, but you've only got three books of the Bible, what ones would you take? The first one I would choose is the Psalms. The Psalms is full of everything. It's full of the stories and the celebrations and the commiserations and the grumpiness and the happiness of life. The adverts for um, Apple and Android phones and things, they'll say, go into the Play Store, there's an app for that. But whatever we're facing in life, there's a psalm for that. Um, Whether we want to give thanks in the 104th Psalm or whether our world has fallen in, and we're in the depths of the 23rd Psalm when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and everything in between, there's a Psalm for that. So I'm taking the Psalms. One of my favorite books of the Bible is is maybe a surprising one. It's the book of Malachi. As you read it first up, it is this great fire and brimstone, old fashioned or apparently so story of judgment and people being set on fire. But it's not that. Every time that judgment is threatened, God says, I'm going to give you another chance. You're making mistakes, you're getting it wrong, but I'm going to give you another chance. And each time he says that, it moves from just a second chance for a small group of people to a bigger group of people to everyone getting a second chance. And I know that's something that I need. And I'll also take with me Mark's gospel, not just because it contains the story of tearing the roof off, but it shows us the miracles of God and the humanity of Christ. It shows us Peter missing the point repeatedly, but God's still making use of him. I suppose the thing you can see in all of this is that kind of flawed hero idea in a story for me. That person who is unlikely and not that great at doing things, but God decides to use them anyway. And, the, and that, that resonates with me. So there you go. Well, that's, I was going to say, time's going on. We could probably throw that out to everyone around the table. Would that be a great question for everyone to start thinking about? But maybe you're driving the times and not allowing no, that. No, that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, just to let you know as well, coming up later in the program, there's going to be an interactive discussion section uh, where the microphone will roam oh, and uh, you're maybe, welcome maybe to chip in. Maybe we could in. do it. that be a good uh, idea to chip in your so, favourite Bible story? So absolutely, yeah. So the idea is that we're giving you lots to work <laughs> with. Uh, and then when we have our sort of discussion later, on, um, we can uh, sort of, yeah, explore any of these issues. Um, so you might want to start thinking about what books you would take to a desert island. But I think those Scottish campers are getting ready. Uh, so I think it's time for a song. Now the of your love forever With my mouth I will praise you forever 
rescue me, set me free. You've forgiven me, rescue me, set me free. tell you those Scottish campers they can do it all they can do it all that's fantastic and I was thinking it's great because we're saying in this theme that the Bible is full of so many genres and I think those Scottish campers are full of so many genres there's a bit of kind of northern soul going on there I heard you were just singing folk songs you're moving into all kinds of things I think I think there's hip-hop coming up maybe Um, that would be fantastic okay so now what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a vox pop Um, I was out asking some folks um, who some of their favorite Bible 
Bible characters are, because one of the things about the Bible is it's full of so many stories, but it's also full of so many characters. So you're already thinking about what maybe some of your favorite books the Bible might be, but I invite you now as well to think who some of your favorite characters of the Bible might be. And for those listening online, um, there is an interactive chat feature. So if you've got thoughts or comments, you can type them in and we'll weave that into the conversation too. So uh, we're now going to play the recording. Thanks. One of my favourite characters is Ruth from the Old Testament. I love the character of Ruth and her amazing trust in God. I think Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap. He, he, he's one of these people that's so like we, we talk about needing evidence-based policy, evidence-based politics, evidence-based medicine, evidence-based science. And the guy that wants evidence, we hammer him for his lack of faith. He's so like us in many ways. One of my favourite characters is Jephthah, who appears in the Book of Judges. And I think the thing that's grabbed me is like he seems like someone throughout most of the story who's trying to do the right thing, but is trapped in bitternesses or bad dynamics that have been set early in his childhood. And he can't quite escape from them. I like Jephthah because he seems real and because he tries and succeeds and tries and fails and he tries to rebuild or he has managed to rebuild a family which he then loses and he's rebuilt his place in the tribe but at a cost which seems unacceptable and I, I find that heartbreaking. One of my favourite is Peter. I call him the enthusiastic disciple because He's like, he's like this little puppy when, that, that runs up to you and jumps and just has lots of energy. When Jesus is walking on water and Peter sees that, Peter, like, Lord, I want to come to you, I want to come to you. And he jumps out the, the boat and he starts to walk on the water and realizes, uh-oh, what am I doing here? And then he starts to think. He kind of represents, I think, the humanness in the disciples for me. I think he's very, very human in his emotions and uh, how he is. Okay, so one of my favourite Bible characters is Bezalel, the master craftsman back in Exodus, because I can relate to making things by the craft skill in our hands that can be an offering of worship. One of my favourite Bible characters is Vashti, the Queen of Persia. She only appears in the first chapter of the Book of Esther, and her husband, the king, has this week-long drinking binge and then demands that she appears so that he can show off his be her beauty to all his friends, and she refuses, and I really love her for that. Uh, at the end of the chapter, it says that the king then sends letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language, declaring that every man should be master in his own house. And it seems to me that if you've got to send out a proclamation like that then you've already lost the argument so good for Queen Vashti I'd say One of my favourite Bible characters is David He's a man of passion, a fascinating mix of strengths and flaws when he falls he falls dramatically but he always gets back up and I think the thing really appeals to me about David is that when he gets back up it's because he never falls away from God even when he when he sins when he does things that he shouldn't do his inclination is always to fall towards God so Brian Houston song that has a line in it I want to fall face forward into the arms of grace and I think David has that kind of trust and belief in God 
comes through in, in the writing of the Psalms, which we attribute to David. One of my favourite Bible characters is Miriam. Um, I think she's she's overlooked because she's got a famous brother who keeps getting into scrapes. Um, but she's really brave and really clever when she's younger. She helps him get time with his mum. When she grows up, she is a prophet and she helps lead her people out of Egypt right alongside Moses. And she sings for them and she encourages them. Yeah, so she's creative, she's clever, she's brave, and I think she deserves a second look. Great, many interesting characters there, and that was just the people who were speaking. Now Albert is going to share with us a short reflection on that first reading we heard earlier from the book of Job. The whole story of Job is quite a challenging story, isn't it? And as I started to read it, and I'm aware of it, it's a story that speaks to all of our lives. None of us can go through life without experiencing sadness and disappointment and hurt. And it's how we deal with it that is the key to all of this. And as we grow and as we come among Christian people, sometimes people come to faith and they discover they're in the Christian community, but then bad things begin to happen and things go wrong in our lives. And we sometimes are afraid to talk about it and to be open about it because somehow we think that it's only, you know, good thing, if, if you're a Christian, it's only going to be good things. And, and this whole prosperity theology that's going around that almost says, you know, God blesses you. And as God blesses you with wealth and prosperity, then you know you're really being, you're walking in obedience to God. But when things go wrong in your life, when, when you know, you're starting to not have so much money and when you're struggling with poverty, then maybe it's something to do with you and it's to do with the way you've been living your life. And of course, that's all of the kind of stuff that's been thrown at Job as he's facing catastrophe in his life, as he's lost so many things. He's lost his family and he's got this terrible illness and he's coming out in boils and everything's gone wrong in his life. And it's so easy. And, and the whole story is really trying to get us to start thinking much more deeply about all of this. And it's beginning to get us to begin to think that, you know... <laughs> There's something more to life than trying to find quick, smart, theological answers. And that's what people are always looking for, looking for answers. Give me an answer, Albert. Can you answer that? Why does God allow this? Why does God allow that? And the book of Job is trying to say, grow up. You'll never understand God. You'll never be able to put the whole purposes of God into a small sentence or into an answer. And that reminds me of something that John Bell, a well-known theologian and hymn writer, speaks, used to speak about when John used to sometimes say, Jesus never said he was the answer. He said he was the way. And what I'm discovering in my Christian life is that it's a journey with Jesus. And, and that's what we need to more and more get in touch with is Jesus. And not even the church, in, in, in inverted commas, that so often people think we're trying to get people to join a church. It's much deeper than that. I think we're called to join in a partnership, in a relationship with Jesus and journey with Jesus. And it's as we journey, we discover all things about ourselves. 
And we discover a confidence that we can cope with all that's thrown at us because Jesus is journeying with us and he walks with us and journeys through the difficult times. He accompanies us. And and at the end of the day, the whole story of Job is that sense of hope that Job has that he says at the end of everything. He says, but I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that some kind of sense will be made out of all of this. And that's what I find helpful as I've been reflecting on the book of Job. And as we live in the library this 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 month, that we might be willing to journey to the place of mystery and allow mystery to draw us in and not to be always looking for the quick answers and the easy ways to tie things up and to look for all the loose ends to be tied up so that we can say, now, that's what my understanding of God is. It's oh, I've got it all sort sussed. It's not that. It's got to be mystery. It's got to be a journey. It's got to be walking. But a sense of hope that through all this, God will redeem us and, re- and has redeemed us in Christ. So that's been my little reflection. And I suppose I'm throwing it out to you t- tonight. I don't know where you are. You may be listening to this now on, on the internet and you're listening to it after this is gone, this, this moment in time is gone, or you're maybe here. And it, you need to know that you don't always need to sometimes feel that everything's going right. And you sometimes need to realise that sometimes God can seem very distant, but the absence of God is often the beginning of us understanding his presence. And I found that over the years, as I sometimes would speak to someone as a pastor or a minister going into someone who's been bereaved, and they say to me, I really miss John because he's absent. And John becomes much more closer in a strange way. And so if you think that God is absent, the very fact that you know and have recognised this absence means that you know him. And he's not far away at all. So as we journey together, we journey with expectancy and with hope and There's great stories in the library that at the end of the day will lift us out of that place of darkness and sadness and disappointment. So keep living in the library, but please do not run into the library and grab the first book and read a few sentences and then run out of the library. You've got to maybe booze in the library. (laughs) (laughs) Just to say, you don't have to booze in the library. (laughs) Thank you so much, Albert. And we're going to hand over once more to those Scottish campers. Your heart 
Beautiful, thank you. We're now going to open up a discussion uh, to the floor, talking about Jesus as a storyteller, thinking in particular maybe our, about our second reading, the, the Luke chapter 15. And we'll have a conversation about it as a panel and we'll also open it up to the floor. James is going to be roving with that mic. So if anybody's got any burning questions, then give him a wave and he'll make his way over. So, over to you, James. Okay, so if you are online uh, via the tech team, the hand will go up if you've submitted a, a comment or a question. Uh, but I'm also here in Bridge of Allen, and I've got my hiking boots on, and I'm <laughs> going to run around if you stick your hand up. Um, so if the panel want to kick off with a question, um, start chatting, and then if you've got anything you'd like to add, just throw your hand up, and I'll run and find you. So in the meantime, then, why tell a story rather than spilling it all out? or spelling it all out, even not spilling. Why did Jesus tell stories? I, I think when we hear stories, we can quite easily put ourselves into the story. So when Jesus tells the stories, depending where we are in life, we can go, oh, that, that's me. He's talking about me. I'm the person who, as I was talking about in Mark too earlier on, who needs lowered through the roof. I'm the person that's maybe in the way. I'm the person who's digging the hole in the roof. We can all be at different points in life, different parts of the story, and we can see ourselves in it and get an understanding of that better than just, just maybe trying to explain it without the use of story. I think also the story seems an awful lot better than sometimes somebody telling you something you've done, you know, you've been told off or, you, you, you know, you've been preached at, whereas a story is, you know, a lot more sensitive and, you know, user-friendly, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so uh, sorry to interject. We have a comment from the floor. It's a, a thought as well as a comment, I suppose, is that um, in a story it's quite easy to be funny. And I feel like Jesus, I mean, maybe we don't get all the jokes anymore, but I feel like he was kind of funny. And I don't know, you warm to people a bit more when they're amusing and, you know... Yeah, I feel like that was one of his charms. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, one of the books I'm reading at the moment is a history book by a guy called Nick Page, and the tagline of it is a history of 2,000 years of saints, sinners, idiots, and divinely inspired troublemakers. And that bit somewhere at, on the list. <laughs> and that bit at the end, divinely inspired troublemakers. Now, that's something I think we should all aspire to be. But they're the people who you warm to in the stories. They're the people that you think, yes, yes, I want to be like them. Not I wanna... if you're the moderator. You don't want them at all. Get that man out of here. Because he's too much trouble. Maybe if you are the moderator. <laughs> so we've had a few comments here. We've got one from the floor and uh, some from the table. But I invite you now, is anyone going to volunteer perhaps a favorite book of the Bible or a f one of your favorite characters in the Bible or something else that struck you uh, throughout this afternoon? Have I got any, anyone who's wanting to make a comment? Don't feel pressured, but if you'd like to join in, this is our interactive part here. So if you've got something you want to say, this is your chance. Uh, I've got the microphone. So 
Yep, okay, we've got something coming in. I think this is from online. Okay. Uh, so just some favorite books from the Bible from Hazy Rose, who's uh, listening in. It's, uh, she's gone for three, hedging her bets here. It's Psalms, Matthew, and possibly Corinthians, which is two for one. <laughs> there you go. She knows how to work the system. Four books on her island. Anyone else here in the room uh, can, uh, can think of a favorite book of the Bible, perhaps, that they'd like to take with them? I can see them all from here. They're all desperate to speak, you know. Oh, they're just clamoring. This is Albert. a great. Um, this is a great. This is a great radio audience. Really <laughs> are. So come on, radio audience. You know, how is it that David Dimbleby can get people speaking? And, and, and uh, come on, get moving. <laughs> oh, okay. I've got a comment here. Uh, I would like to take Proverbs with me because I think it's a great book. Because if you're wondering about something and you just uh, you just look at Proverbs, you always find something that relates to you in any circumstance. I think Leviticus would be a, a really good book to take because it would help you sleep. <laughs> but also you couldn't avoid having to wrestle with all the different topics and issues. And I think the Vox Pop earlier spoke about Jephthah being a favourite character. I think I'm more drawn to Jephthah's daughter, who's nameless, but who gives up and sacrifices her life for her, his father's, her father's foolishness, and that she goes to the nth degree. And to be able to do that, I think, requires a lot of courage and confidence and hope in God. Thank you, thank you. Interesting. Oh, oh, the hands are coming now. Okay, let's keep this moving. Just following on from what's been discussed about work, walking in life, being taking steps in life, the Bible, the reading that I would take, or the book that I would take, and the book that I feel most at home with and comforted is, is Matthew. And that's because Matthew 28.20 has got a very good verse about Jesus saying that he's with us whatever happens. He's with us always. And that is something where whatever trials of life that Albert was saying or Dan was saying, that God tells us that he's always with us. And for me, that is a very personal memory, a very personal rock to always be with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we have a hand back here. The book that I would take with me is Ecclesiastes, because to me it reads like Solomon's doctoral thesis on life. And when you read through it, he's tested absolutely everything. The wisest man in the world, the richest, most affluent man in the world. And he looks and he says, you know, some of it is don't things take life so seriously because you can't control the outcome. It says that God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. It says that you can tell neither love nor hatred from what is before you. And so I think in life it's easy to get caught up in the whole uh, everything's going wrong, God's punishing me, but King Solomon's saying, no, 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 life's not like that. Or God loves me because he's causing it to rain on me, and so, you know, I'm getting a harvest. And King Solomon's saying, it's not like that either, you know? And we hear so many doctrines, and so life can become heavy, but when you read Ecclesiastes, it, you know, he tells you, you know what, I've observed life, and this is everything I've seen. And as when I was reading it, as I look on life, I think, yeah, that's true. I've seen that. I've seen 
seen that. That's true. That's true. And at the end, he said, the whole duty of man is to fear God and to obey his commandments. And so I would take that with me. I'd definitely take that because he talks about everything and he's like a real person and it's a real life application of everything else. Well done. Thank you. I think um, the book of Ephesians um, would, would be my favourite book in the Bible because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians talks about the, the mystery and he's always talking about the, the, this, this mystery. He spoke about the mystery in marriage. He spoke about the mystery in the supernatural. And it was only man, Paul, who entered into the third heaven where he heard words that wasn't lawful for man to utter. And um, I've always admired the Apostle Paul because... He was that man where he was a supernatural man in the line of Christ. And, um, and I think from that, from that perspective, he was just tuned in. He had a great conversion, he had a great life, and he had a great walk with God. And, um, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, so have we got any other? Uh, we'll probably take one more if we've got one from online or in the room. Uh, just watching the time here. So is anyone else burning to say something? Uh, then now is your chance. Okay, that's that's fine. Okay, thank you. I'm going to rush back around now. Uh, I think it's time uh, that we have a wee prayer. Okay, I think it's time we have a wee prayer. And I was thinking we could do a prayer um, that connects in some way to that Luke passage that we were um, exploring, where we had the story, uh, the three stories that Jesus tells about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. So I thought if we could all get a coin, a sheep, and a son, then we could use them to help us with the prayers. Uh, but I'm not sure if anybody's got any sheep. Does anyone bring a sheep along? Um, a goat, even maybe a dog that looks a bit like a sheep? No? Okay. You told me earlier, James, I could have brought one, but no. <sighs> so Amanda's left her sheep at home. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to do something a bit different. So I'm going to ask you if you have got on you your keys, uh, and Albert's demonstrating, Dan's demonstrating here with a jingle. Have you got your phone? And have you got your wallet? We're going to pass a hat around. If you could just pop the wallet in there, that would be great. No. <laughs> phone's all switched off, of course. Uh, oh, no. On. On. This is sanctuary first. Uh, the phones are never off. Um, so do have your phone on. That's absolutely fine. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so if you can get your phone, your keys, and your wallet, we're going to use that for a little prayer. Um, we're not going to ask you to do anything silly with them. These are just objects to help you reinforce the message. Because I don't know about you, but is there a worse feeling on earth than patting your pockets and you can't find your keys? You can't find your phone. You can't find your wallet. Imagine losing all three at once. I would probably sit down and cry. And it might seem a bit silly because these are just lumps of plastic and metal and leather and stuff like that. But actually... They mean a lot to us. They're ordinary objects, but we invest them with so much importance because we look at them and we are reminded of the connections they make for us. Because for us, these things connect us to friends, to family, to belonging, to safety, and all that sort of thing. It's a horrible gut feeling when you find yourself suddenly adrift without an anchor. And if you've got your phone or your wallet or your keys, you can even look at them right now, turn them over, and suddenly imagine it was gone. I hope nobody has just discovered they don't have one of those objects with them. Uh, which they thought they did have, because that would be slightly alarming. But it would help uh, make the, uh, the illustration more real. So we're just going to have a quick prayer about these things. Because I think what Jesus is trying to say in the parables, what he is not trying to say, he's succeeding in saying, is that these, this is how God feels about us. 
We know human lives are important, but it can be hard to believe that all human lives throughout all of history, everywhere in the world, can be equally important to God. Surely he can't keep track of that. Surely he can't care for all of that. Not me. God's got plenty of other sheep, right? He's got more coins. He's got countless cards. He's got rings of keys. He's got mobile phones backed up in heavenly clouds. He can always cancel and reset, can't he? But these stories show us that God cares about each of us individually. They use everyday human examples of loss and reunion. They might be domestic or financial or to do with our families. To illustrate something that goes beyond human knowledge or imagination. As Albert was saying, they invite us to enter into the mystery. The stories give us a glimpse into how God feels. What's something that on the face of it seems insignificant? Just a coin. Just 1% of your sheep flock. Just that black sheep troublemaker in the family. A phone you'll upgrade next year anyway. Keys that you can change, recut, bank cards you can cancel. But think how much it bothers you, how much it really gets you when just one of these things is missing, just for a moment. And Jesus is showing us rather than just telling us. He says, see how much you care about these things, these things which are just everyday things that you could perhaps replace. It's just a sheep. But that's how much it bothers you. Well, just think how much God is bothered. Just think how much he cares. It gives us a tiny insight into how God feels when one of his children has been lost and come home. Without these objects, even for a moment, we would feel bereft. And what these stories are telling us is that without God, without us, God feels bereft. So I invite you to hold each of these objects in turn as I lead us in a short prayer. So first off, could you take your keys? Thank you, God, that you want to find us more than we want to find our keys. You are unimaginably vast and large and impossible to fully comprehend. Thank you for sending your prophets and your son with stories that gives us a glimpse into the vast love you have for us that boggles our mind. Secondly, if you take your wallet or purse, and you can do this if you're listening online as well. Thank you, God, that you are as relieved to find us as we are when we find our bank cards all safely tucked away. It's tempting to think that we're all replaceable, can all be cancelled or reset. But we learn through the stories in the Bible that we are not. We are all unique and valuable and cared for, no matter how insignificant we feel. And thirdly, and lastly, we take our mobile phones. It's often the first thing you look at in the morning, the last thing you look at at night. Dear God, thank you that you are more overjoyed to find us than we are when we find our phone down the back of the couch. We hold on to our phones tightly because they offer a connection to the world around us. We are amazed, we are bowled over that you care about keeping in touch with each and every one of us. So as we take our keys, our phone and our wallet, as we use them and lose them and find them again over the next few weeks, may we be reminded how much you cherish us and how delighted you are to welcome us home. Amen. That was great, James. Thank you. As we near the end of our time together, in fact, I think we've gone over our time together, but never mind. We're going to hand over once more and enjoy some music from the Scottish campers. Thank you. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then 
as country as it gets, folks. Oh, that was fantastic. They can do everything. There's nothing that those Scottish campers can't do. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you joined us online or you were here in the room in Bridge of Allen. Um, and a wonderful thank you to those Scottish campers, to Dan Harper, who is able to join us today, to Albert Bogle, to Amanda McQuarrie, to the Royal Hotel in the Bridge of Allen for hosting us. And this conversation is going to continue. This hour is all too brief, but we are always online at www.sanctuaryfirst.org.uk. So do follow we have writers who write for us every day and there's new content on the site and we're going to continue to explore this theme all month. We really hope that this hour has encouraged you to pick up a Bible and have a leaf through it, if only to find the folk who were mentioned earlier. To wander the shelves of the library and discover or rediscover new characters, stories and insights. I'm going to hand over now to Albert who will bless us as we go. Absolutely, and I would like to remind you that uh, we need you to continue to support us in Sanctuary First so that we continue and be sustainable. We've never done this before, but I'm just reminding you normally people would have a little offering, but we're not having an offering tonight. What we do have is a donate button on the Sanctuary First website. And if you would like to donate regularly, you can take out a standing order. We've not got anybody giving us any standing order apart from one or two people. So we need more people to support us, sustain us, because my funder may not continue to fund me next year, and I need to get grassroots support. So if you think you could support us, Go and have a wee look at the donations button and maybe start to give us some money. But apart from that, it's great to have you. Thank you to, for coming. And if you feel like staying around, you can stay around for a wee chat. And one other thing about boozing in the library. I'm going to have a wee night here in Bridge of Allen in the brewery. And we're going to be browsing in the brewery. <laughs> which we're all looking forward to. <laughs> which, which is going to be Thursday, the 25th of October. So if you're looking for a wee night in the brewery, you know the, the, new, the wee brewery that's down there, uh, then come along on the 25th and we're going to be finishing up and reflecting on this, uh, on the topic. Because at the end of the day, what we're also trying to do is build up contact groups all over the country. So we're looking to open up contact groups that would meet regularly in homes, in little cafes, and start discussing some of the topics that we are putting out on Sanctuary First. You see, there's a wee bit meta to all of this. It's not just online. It's get people meeting face-to-face. -face. And now that you've met face-to-face, -face, it's quite a nice congregation, isn't it? <laughs> we quite like you all. So please come back again. Keep, keep looking for us. The next one is going to be um, November in Trinity Church, and it's a Friday night, I think it's Friday night, the 9th of November, and uh, we're going to be looking at um, remembrance, so it'll be a special night, and it'll be a great, great, completely different feel again, but please come along. So until that time, let's bless one another in the name of Christ by saying the grace together. And if you don't normally say the grace, well, just let someone say the grace to you and <laughs> let it run over you, fall over you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you.